Afternoon or evening or morning, wherever you are, I am Connor Fowler. And I'm Matt Smith. Welcome to Apocalypse Duds. Today, uh, because we tell our listeners everything, for better or for worse, I have to confess, I got this email from Apple and they were like, check out your Apple podcasters thing. And I was like, I'll check this out in a couple of days. And I did wait a couple of days for this. And even though there's a remarkable miracle inside of the email, a ton of listeners and like reviews and stuff, which I was not even aware of. Because I thought it was like all Spotify all the time, basically. But there are many listeners which we didn't even know that we had. And I mean many, like doubling in our listeners. Yeah. Just because Connor and I are Spotify idiots and have not migrated to a better sounding platform that's basically the same, uh, I personally hate change. So They do want us to pay for something. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but they want us to pay for something. Well, but we're, taking like, the, we're taking the analytics for free. Yeah, and it sounds like we have, you know, we have a lot of people that use Apple for their podcast needs. So, guys... Sorry, we've neglected you. We're yeah, seriously. But, but I'm gonna say Connor is the administrator. He's the organized one. So yeah, I'm the yeah. The shit falls on me, and it does fall on me. I mean, that's why I'm saying this. Um, because yeah. it's like stupid, but it's also humbling. Yes, totally. Because it's like I don't know. I thought we were doing pretty fucking well, and now it's like holy shit, we're doing really super duper well. Totally, <laughs> totally, and you which know, is just like, nice. There have been comments um, to us personally, like people telling us this. Sometimes our audio quality is dog shit. And uh, we we want you to know that we also know that sometimes our uh, audio quality is dog shit. Uh, One. Two, sometimes there are just a lot of things beyond your control when you're two nerds trying to talk about something and starting a podcast about it. Uh, someone's video feed drops. Uh, someone's audio feed drops. With uh, no audio experience yeah. whatsoever. With no with editing experience at all. Like, I play music. I have nothing or no real experience on the uh, editing side and the recording side. Uh, very, very little. All just done by myself. Um, so it's blind. Yeah. We are trying to get better. Um, I think the Chris show uh, last week was probably one of our better sounding ones. And uh, which Matt Matt edited the entire thing. Matt edited the entire yeah. thing. I'm not going to too yes, bad about dude. that. Yes, dude. But you should because you did a great job. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, Connor has been trying to get me to talk about this all fucking day, and I've just said no. Finally, um, <laughs> <laughs> on record. Um, but anyway. Thank you for following along. Um, we lo- love doing this, and we're stoked that like it seems to resonate with a bunch of people. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of what we wanted to say. Um, we had oh, I do want to mention um, a song that if you have looked at our stories, I posted, uh, but. The man, Billy Bragg, the working class troubadour. Uh, <laughs> it's a, like it has a pirate name. Yeah, uh, the the Gen X millennial, uh, maybe maybe Zoomer uh, 
working class troubadour singer songwriter wrote a fucking fantastic response to the astroturf like red bearded motherfucker uh shitty country not me people, whatever the fuck song yeah not not connor but if you're online like i am look it up uh but the billy brack song is fucking great and like talks about uh joining the union and not uh you know not punching down which we're fans of both of those things like if you're you know if you're not uh wealthy then you're pretty much we're all in this shit together so some solidarity will go a long way uh speaking of solidarity just had my friend uh sam rockwell on the episode um she is a ayatsi uh local i should have pulled this up first 479 uh, 479 atlanta uh um, soon to be costume designer, uh, model, vintage collector, like just a one of my one of my best friends uh, in this fair city, and we had a great chat. Matt says the most knowledgeable vintage person that they know, which I is hundred percent stand behind praise because Matt knows almost everything, and I don't <laughs> say that in and I don't say that in a mean way. Uh, Connor just likes to... There's a lot of knowledge about clothing that I do not have, (laughs) basically. Well, thank you. But, um, yeah, if you'd like to show some support for the show financially, that would be... Money. That would be fucking great. Uh, I mean, no pressure. We're not not holding a knife to your neck or anything, but if you like what we we do... into the show this is like yeah, the okay. we're, we're not we're not trying to make money off this show. shit but hey like if we could you know if we could pay for a couple of instagram ads or something and in, in trying to grow what we're doing uh we would appreciate a buck or two if you if you like it like whatever the fuck said we don't care we're just or an out. email send us or an, an email. email that would be yeah. another nice thing to do yeah. say say i mean you know say hello Say, Someone is really going to send us a mean email, though. I know that they will. That's fine. If you do, you're going to get screenshot and probably posted. I won't tag you, but I'll just. <laughs> yeah, we'll blow it up. Um. Anyway, Connor's Venmo, if you would like to send us a buck or two, is uh, at Connor Fowler. His PayPal is ConnorFowler at gmail.com. And we hope you enjoyed the episode. Yeah, it was really a super one. So uh, we'll see you soon. Ha you're seeing us now. <laughs> Ladies, gentlemen, comrades, and country folk, this evening's show has been literally years in the making. When I saw our next guest as William, quote, Wild Bill Wharton in the TNT special, The Green Mile, I knew he was something else. I knew he would be a star. In 2009's Moon, he plays an astronaut stuck on the moon. And he is the only character in the movie. Masterful. We welcome none other than actor. Connor, Connor, Connor. The fuck are you talking about? Uh, Uh, We're we're interviewing my dear friend that has this crazy encyclopedic knowledge of vintage fashion. Uh, She's a model. 
a stylist, collector, and soon a costume designer. Uh, she shares a name with an actor. Did you think that we were interviewing him? I guess that I have made a mistake. I made an understandable mistake. Uh, yeah, yeah. Folks, but a mistake. Sorry. A mistake nonetheless. A mistake nonetheless. Sorry. Tragic. Connor was an idiot on this one. Uh, but, <laughs> As ever. Yeah. But I would like to introduce uh, everyone to my friend, Sam Rockwell. Uh, Sam, how are you today? Uh, sorry, Connor's I- an idiot. <laughs> no, no, no. And I have to say very quickly to defend myself, we have had costume designer on the list for show ideas, interview ideas, since the beginning of the show. So this is a fucking dream come true. Awesome. Awesome. That's what I, I love have to that. say. Yeah, so thank you. Thank you for being here. Oh, of course. Thank you for having me. Uh, so when I got married and my dad found out that I was going to change my last name to Rockwell, he got real excited because he was like, oh, like Sam Rockwell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was like, that's, okay. Okay, dad. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, also, I mean, just my last name is Smith. I, I respect any cooler than Smith or Jones, whatever the fuck last name, but Rockwell as a last name is, Look, is pretty up there. <laughs> like my, my, you know, family last name of Meacham is, you know, very English. It's right. fine. Right. Yeah. But I had the opportunity to change my name to Samantha Kathleen Rockwell. And I was like, well, that just that, makes me sound wealthy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, that's great. That's the need. That's some like mid-century uh, movie movie star shit of a yeah, name. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I'm not going to pass that up. No, definitely. Not. <laughs> so you mentioned the English thing, Meacham. Uh, we were talking about this a little bit. Where are you from? I mean, not like where is your ancestors from? Like, where are you from, uh, and where do you live now? I born and raised Toledo, Ohio, um, and then went to school in West Michigan and Grand Rapids, Michigan, lived there for several years, uh, and then ended up in Georgia to go to UGA for grad school and ended up in Atlanta and have been here for the last eight years, have no plans of leaving. Best city on the planet. Best city on the planet. (laughs) Look, bought a house here, no plans on leaving. I got to say that once an episode. That's awesome, though. That's really awesome. Home ownership, I mean. Right. <laughs> it's great. Uh, I, I know it has its like pitfalls, right? But yada yada. It's good. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, yeah. If you can get in, especially in a in a growing metro like Atlanta, too, like that's Look, that's we got impressive. So lucky. Yeah, we got so lucky, and honestly, I don't think I ever thought I would own a house. So. I will not complain about the privilege of being able to be a homeowner as a millennial. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We're not calling you out on that at all. No, definitely not. It's fucking cool. It's like really yeah. good to be able to like be of a place, right? Yeah, it, it's good. It, I like it. Yeah, it's one of those like, wow, I'm a real person kind of moments I would imagine. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I guess I'm an adult now. Right, right. Uh, so Sam, if I know you've listened to some of our episodes and yeah. you probably, uh, probably know this question is, is the one that we usually lead with, uh, to get into the actual interview, but, um, do you have an earliest clothing memory? 
so I was trying to think if I had a like very distinct memory of like a garment of clothing and some of some of the things that come to mind really two things that come to mind the first one was every year for christmas my papa tony who not technically my grandfather he never he was never married to my grandmother but they lived this beautiful like separate domestic life and he he was the grandfather i always knew um, he would buy me a party dress, a like fancy dress every year for Christmas. I was the only girl in the family. I'm the oldest of four. I have three younger brothers. And I just remember every year for Christmas, it was the big thing. And it was just this like special moment of getting this lovely garment, especially being surrounded by brothers. And then also with my grandmother playing dress up at her house with clothing that was hers. I mean, from like the sixties and seventies that I would play dress up in those clothes. And I have one of those dresses still that I would play dress up with. Um, it's a neon striped sixties shift dress. Ooh. It's fantastic. And then shoes that went shoes that went with it were these like leather orange pumps from the 60s that were <laughs> oh, yeah. they were from a woman who is my great grandmother's friend and her name was Franny Gula. Franny Gula. Franny Gula. The best name. Um so I remember there was one year also for Halloween that I wore that whole outfit. And that was my Halloween costume as I was just this like 60s go-go girl. So you started days. early. I, oh, I started very early. There's Wait, so what uh like what age would the that Halloween outfit have been for you? That was in middle school. Oh, um, that's awesome. So I'm pretty sure that was middle school. I think I was probably, I mean, I was somewhere in the like 12 to 14 range. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That sounds right. Yeah. Um, but I grew, you know, I grew up in a house where we thrifted and my parents had really good taste. And, you know, as a baby in the early nineties was dressed in just some like really great stuff that I'm so grateful my parents kept. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, <laughs> It's one of these days when I get home and have time, I am going to dig through the basement and like <laughs> bring right. all of it back with me, whether Russell wants me to or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that I, I can't wait to see this stuff because inevitably I'm going to see this stuff. So you absolutely will see this stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, so like early memories of clothing, it tends to have a very like familial tie for me. Totally. Which, totally. which I think really feeds into how I've become the, the keeper of 
the material history in my family, specifically when it comes to like the clothes. Man, if every family had one person like you, uh, that would be, well, it might be bad for me because they wouldn't donate right. shit to thrift stores. <laughs> but, you know, gonna say. The, the people like, like, you know, I, I do a lot of military stuff. And while I love finding stuff and being able to put like a face to the name or whatever, mm-hmm. so many times I'm just like, there, there's no like grandkid, like niece, nephew, anyone that like actually wants this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like to keep it in the family. Like I wish I had my my uncle's Sometimes shit. There's no one. <laughs> I wish I had my right? grandpa's shit. Like yeah. you know, many of my my family members were in Korea and Vietnam, and like three uncles were pilots. Like I would kill to have their fucking flight jackets. Mm-hmm. Like my grandpa was a barber in the army in Korea, but I, I would love to have his field jacket. You know, like yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's that's such a privilege that you have to to like. I don't know, just be able to like document and keep this like historical shit in the family. And to also have family members and generations before me right. keep it. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's where, you know, may, maybe old shit is in just in your blood and like, yeah. that's where it yeah. comes from. Look, there, yeah. the, the hoarding tendencies the- on both sides of my family are, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you well, come from not a- hoarding, it's uh, archiving. Yeah, exactly. Well, at least that's what we tell ourselves. Cataloging. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, were there things that you saw as a kid? You said that there's a familial tie to this sort of uh, like knowledge. I guess. Um, were there things that you saw? on your parents, your stylish parents or around you, like in Ohio um, or Grand Rapids, you know, anything that you saw, I guess that stood out to you. (laughs) I think, you know, with, with my dad, my dad was in the music scene. He was a sound tech in the late eighties into the nineties. And had you know banties and just had cool stuff and i i just grew up with you know my mom kept her chucks that she had in the 80s oh. so, and i and you know we still have them they're white splatter painted i remember wearing them in middle school and people being like what the hell are those <laughs> <laughs> right right because that's when they were like a $5 JCPenney clearance shoe. Exactly. And, you know, growing up in in the Midwest, not exactly in a, like, fashion mecca of any sort, yeah. I've, always, I've always dressed differently. I've always been a little different, been a little weird. Um, you stand out in Toledo. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And so right. I I kind of came to realize, you know, sometimes I would try to conform because that's what you do when you're a kid and trying to go through puberty and a teenager and all those fun things. Totally. Um, but for the most part, I would just like in high school before we had uniforms, I would I would dress up. I would like look nice. 
as a yeah. freshman sophomore and that's because that's how i f i felt good that way right and i would go to thrift stores and find the interesting things so it was more so and i would go to vintage stores even as a kid were there a lot of vintage stores i mean there are right you say that there are but i'm saying like in Annapolis, Maryland, not a vintage store, certainly in the 1990s yeah. or the 2000s, not until very, like, very recently. There were some random ones, but for the most part, it was thrift stores. Yeah, and sure. And it's like, I think we all, like any of us who, who thrift, what I would not give to be able to go back to the Oh, store. God, yes. <laughs> As oh. I am now. <laughs> like... With how much stuff there would have been. With your adult knowledge. Yeah. yeah. My yeah. adult knowledge. Just. Yeah. You could have stockpiled like, all that shit. Like, dude, if you oh. would go into one, if you were able to go to one hot topic in like 2004, you could just buy all of the shit and resell it and probably not have to work for I, a while. I wish that I would have, like, with how big y2k is it's not my thing yeah it's fucking insane i think it's I lived, right i lived it i had it I, I would make a killing if i had kept all that yeah dude yeah and, and like, i like it i, I think probably, it's cool i mean <laughs> sam i probably said this to you at some point but like i really just want to tell some of these like 20 year olds like dude i, I was like not too much younger than you are now when this originally hit and it looked like shit then too. I promise you. Like the point all... is, it looks like shit. Uh, I, the point I is, it looks like shit. Yeah, that's the whole point. Are people I mean, wearing this aware of that? That yeah. is the question. Certainly, I, some of them are aware of the irony. I mean, a lot of a lot of Y two K is just rehashed seventy shit with a lower yeah. rise. So like. There are parts of it that well, I don't... Well, and, like, yuckier. Way yuckier. Yeah. Way yeah, more disgusting. Yeah, like, I mean... Well, look, and then, as, like... No, like, as a girl who lived through the early 2000s as a high schooler, what comes to mind for me is the, like, lowest-rise jeans possible that yeah. don't look good on really anyone... Yeah. With yeah. a weird dress over top. <laughs> and then like three tank tops layered underneath said dress. Yeah. Skinniest, yeah. most pointless scarf you have ever seen. And I just It's I a mean, beautiful image. Yeah. It's it wasn't. Yeah. It, Why did I, it's like, that it's then? like Right. I mostly think of Mean Girls, which like I love yeah. that fucking movie. It's hilarious. Uh pointing to that as like a style icon type movie. I really hope that like that doesn't actually happen in the history of fashion, but I'm sure it's going to. Well, it's like Mean Girls and 9-11. Like those yeah. are the things that happen. <laughs> yeah. I got I do have to admit that I definitely had like crushes on girls in high school that wore like the dress over the jeans thing. Yeah, hell yeah. You know, it was all, cool but it was what it was available. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of them were like grunge or like, you know, like weirdo people that, that were into cool shit, but it's like they were dressing like Kurt Cobain, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Like a little different sentiment, but still like yeah. not, not a good look for most people. 
Yeah, because I was on the grunge side, and like that's right. what I was doing. I was dressing like Kurt Cobain every fucking day. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Uh, Why not? <laughs> Why not? 13, Why not? <laughs> um, so, Sam, when did you kind of like? It sounds like you started going to you know thrift stores and vintage stores um, at a at a pretty young age, um, mm-hmm. like. Do you remember kind of when you started to like, like consciously seek out the vintage, you know, the vintage stuff that you'd had that you've had, you know, experience with over the years, like just in a bigger quantity, I guess. I think, I think a lot of it started happening when I, like, honestly, when I, you know, moved out of the house and went away to school and kind of started to have my own income. Right. And so in like university, I know I would go to thrift stores and go to vintage spots more, partly because it was less expensive, but that's also where cool stuff was. And I've always been kind of a like, collector of things and taking those taking those family pieces with me whatever they were you know my and a lot of it honestly was stuff that belonged to family um the the t-shirt from the 70s that my mom wore to work at the hardware store that my great-grandmother helped run in right in michigan um that's just this like really cool graphic t-shirt. Um, I, you know, I, I, I did not escape the hipster era. Um, I, I, we, we were all indie sleaze at some point or another. But I think also that that lent itself to thrifting and vintage. Right, and right. I would, yeah. I would find stuff at thrift stores and repurpose it, even though I maybe wasn't very good at it. Um, and then just, you know, as I had my more of my more income and I think especially moving to Athens. Yeah. And just Mm. really, you know, I was in a place as an adult and, and, and had access to some fantastic vintage And there was a community of people there who were also interested in vintage. And I think, I think finding a community of people really helped grow and ignite that passion even more for me. That really, I think really, really helped. Oh, absolutely. And for those that don't, uh, that don't know, Athens is maybe the coolest college town on the face of the earth. And, uh, I love Athens. And yeah, I- it. I, I love Atlanta. Atlanta is home. Athens would be like where I bought a summer home. Uh, not really summer, but you know, just like a little cabin mm. to go hang out in because Athens is just that that rad. Yeah, yeah. Tons of vintage uh, clothing aficionados. Like great fucking music, and it it kind of it kind of divides between the townies who are cool and then the college students and bros who are just there during semesters it is the most stark contrast you will ever see in your life 
Uh, so how has your, uh, you know, how has your kind of like taste and style evolved over the years? I know like, you know, you, you still, you still go real hard on the mid century and the like real, real old vintage stuff, but you, you kill everything you wear. So (laughs) what's that like? (laughs) What's that like? Um, (laughs) um, yeah, I, I think mid century has always been, where my heart lays and that kind of that ranges from the 40s to the 60s um i think for a long time i was really in that you know mid 50s to early 60s realm with what i wore i think matt when you and i met that's kind of really heavy where i fell into totally Um, but but like you, I don't know, you look so natural in that to me, as opposed to a lot of other people. And maybe it's because like, you were probably wearing the most dynamite 40 stress on earth and really <laughs> adorable shoes when, when I met you. But like, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it, it, that just suits you so well. And like your hair and your complexion and everything. Like, it's just like, oh, and that's saying. Yeah. This and I think Mad that's Men time, right? What was that? This is like Mad Men time, right? Yeah. 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 Mad Men was a little later than that because Mad Men started to go into the like, went, started to go into the early 70s. But right, yeah, right. like the early Mad Men seasons is kind of where I, where I fell. And, you know, for me, as someone who is maybe a little bit proportionately curvier, I gravitated to that style because it looked good on me and I felt comfortable and I felt most myself in it. And I think especially, you know, throughout the early 2000s and even into the like 2010s with how styles were, the styles of the mid-century, especially those 50s, 60s styles, they just looked good and they felt comfortable. And I really, I am someone who especially at that time. I'm a little bit more lenient now. But if I was going to do it, I was going to do it right. Yeah. Like, my whole look was going to be right. And it wasn't a costume. It was just who I was. I And I don't even really do a lot of, um, like, reproduction of the style. I yeah. do the true thing. Yeah, you're a purist. That's for sure. I, I am a purist. How do you come by it? How do you find it all? No people. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is I mean, at the end of the day, right? That's what you it know is. People, like, you know vintage people. Yeah. And that's what happened in Athens is I became friends with Stephanie, who owned Atomic. Rest in peace. R.I.P. Um, I'm very sad still. Um <laughs> But, and she, you know, she kind of connected me to other people in Athens. I started modeling stuff for her for social media and it became like a trade thing. And, you know, also as, as you get to know friends or become friends with people within the vintage community, you learn what each other likes and you're always looking for stuff for each other. Yep. Yeah. Always. 
And so it's just, it was one, it just kind of is a natural accumulation and yeah. And so, you know, I, I, at the time in Athens would still find stuff at thrift stores. Um, it's become far more difficult now to find mid-century things, yeah. but that's just yeah, to find anything. Yeah. And that's just, I think one of the beautiful things about the vintage community is it's truly a community and a lot of us really like to learn about each other and <laughs> then supply each other. <laughs> yeah. With more that's things. That's how Matt and I met. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that's how like, Matt and I met. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 It's bizarre. So you mentioned either in our chat before this uh, or in the interview now, um, your graduate work, which amazing. Uh, I would be curious to know what your process was like for your um, research, or I guess um, the topic of your thesis, something. Yeah. Um, so the, the department I was in is the textiles, merchandising and interiors department at UGA. Mm -hmm. And when I was considering going to grad school, I didn't necessarily want to do just fashion merchandising or like just... Yeah. Because, wait, sorry. Fashion merchandising is what your uh, undergrad degree is in, right? My undergrad degree is in international business. So okay, I, have a, okay. I, have a, I have a business degree undergrad. Okay. Um, and decided to kind of go a little bit further into the fashion side of it without it being, you know, fashion design or fashion merchandising. Right, right. And the, the TMI department teaches you everything from the textile sciences. So learning about fabrics at like a scientific level to historic and sociocultural history of dress to, you know, fashion merchandising. And, you know, also you have your how to do research classes and all those things. So it's very well-rounded in terms of everything there is to learn about fashion and about clothing. And okay. I, I think the, you know, one reason I love vintage clothing is I love the history of it and the story of it and all of those things. And I decided with my thesis to basically research myself. All right. So I wanted to look at the consumption process of vintage consumers. Um, whereas the kind of the, the normal consumption process of just your average everyday clothing consumer is usually buy, use, and throw away. It's just a linear process. You have it, you use it, and you get rid of it. Um, but for vintage consumers, I in my research, I did interviews with people around town of varying ages who all considered themselves vintage consumers and came to the conclusion that for vintage consumers, it's very cyclical. 
that oh. you acquire something, you maybe you use it, or you mend it, fix it, do something with it, and when you're done with it, you can keep it forever, like a lot of us do, or when right. you're done with it, you push it back into the cycle. It doesn't go away. That that garment never fully leaves. Yeah. Right. Leaves right. From once you came. Right. <laughs> yeah. It, you just keep trading the shit or, exactly. or like it selling goes back to goodwill. And it's like whether it goes to an individual, whether it goes to a thrift store, or whether it gets repurposed into something else, the the garment never really has an end of life. Right. Like it never, it never usually in a very yeah. rare case, maybe it'll leave, it'll leave the cycle and end up in a landfill, but it very rarely does. Um, con vintage consumers are generally more sustainable in the sense that, you know, we, we don't forget about the, like the, the recycle part of, of clothing. And we also, I mean, we also we we are not very good at the reduce side, right? <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> but we are we're taking from what already exists. Yeah, in the like reduce, reuse, recycle aspect, we're not we're not contributing new. So it was really interesting, like talking to all all of these vintage consumers and like thinking about myself in the research. Um, which normally when you do a research project, you don't usually do, but it was something that no one had ever really done before or asked the question of. Right. And being in Athens surrounded by all these people who were very like-minded to myself, I felt like there was an opportunity there to kind of investigate that a little bit more. Yeah. Did, did anyone ever publish this or like, did you try to get yeah. published? No, I got published in a, in an academic journal. I'm, I'm an academically published author. It's Holy shit. <laughs> I, I wish I had known uh, this. I, I don't know if I did, but we would have thrown that in the fucking intro. Cause no, go fuck it in there now. Go fuck yourself. Other Sam Rockwell. You're not an academically published author, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, got, I, I actually checked. I actually checked Sam Rockwell's Wikipedia. As far <laughs> as I know, there. there are no graduate level publications. Yes, <laughs> yes. Huh. Well, take that, Sam Rockwell. It, it, uh, follow up question, and then then we'll go we'll go forward. But is this like viewable? Like, it, could I'll you send us? Yeah, let me let me. It's somewhere. I will. Okay, you. man. Last yes. week we had fucking Chris, that's a musical archivist, and like, ha you know, gave us a link to these awesome photos, which we still need to share. And this week we we get this, so I'm, I'm very excited. <laughs> Variations on a the theme, right? Um, dude, like, I guess this is probably you know one of the reasons why like I've I've respected you since we met is because like you do have all of this knowledge that has gone. You know, or that that has taken like you know basically like three decades in the making something that not most you know not most thirty year olds can say like I've been in the yeah. vintage ship for thirty fucking years 
Um, do you still feel like, you know, that passion grows? Like, do you still get as excited sometimes as back in the, the very early days? Oh, hell yes. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Correct answer. Because if you were, I know you were not a cynical human being. You know, Matt, I know you've known me for a while, but. Yes, like, yes. I'm getting out of it. No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> never, never. Never. No, I am still a kid in a candy store. That's awesome. Always. Yeah. Um, my, you know, for better or worse, my my interests keep getting older and older. Right. Right. Um, you know, I, I'm more in the more in the forties now, but I you know, my my collection of like forties and thirties pieces. I have lots of Victorian stuff. Um and also, you know, working in the film industry now and having a- access to to clothes sometimes when I especially when I'm working on a period thing. Right. It's just it's so I just get so giddy. <laughs> are you the only one or or like your coper? Oh no. Okay, good, good. No. I mean my friend and I were at some storage units, storage units for Mara. Um, who owned wow. Rocket Vintage. Yes. And she came to help me. And Mara has probably the most impressive collection of vintage clothing I have ever seen. Like, for a sole individual person. And it's like a drug. <laughs> you start going through it, and you just, like, start getting lost. And it's like, well, just one more rack. What's on this next rack? What's What about this? And especially doing it with someone who feels the same way as you do and you just start feeding off of each other. And right. it's just like, look at this, look at this. Yeah. And it just, it never ends. It's yeah. The, it's the thirst or feeling. It's, it's a dopamine hit. Yep. I just, it doesn't matter how many times I, you know, see a 1950s, a beautiful 1950s dress. If I see another one that looks a little different than one I've seen before, and it's yeah. in great shape, I look at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're seeing it. You're seeing a different thing anyway. It's like seeing right. it again for the first yeah. time. Exactly. 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 It's amazing. Um, so we sort of wanted to go to the next section. Um, mm-hmm. We looked at your Instagram. You have a million pictures. Very well done, <laughs> each of them. Uh, you were the subject of many of them. So you're modeling too, right? Like mm-hmm. tons of skill goes into producing photos like this. Um, and maybe people don't realize it. Maybe people don't think about it. Uh, of course, I'm talking about my own FitPick struggles uh which everyone bears witness to sadly you know um so i'm always curious to see how other people set up their pictures um their portraits plan their shoots what have you yeah um i've always been pretty comfortable in front of a camera yeah and i think that especially with the rise of social media and you know documenting 
what you're wearing and especially as someone who wears yeah. vintage um it all just kind of lends itself to itself and as i wanted to do it do the like fit pick side of it more um mm -hmm. you know just getting a tripod and getting a little like remote clicker that yeah. bluetooth clicker that connects to your phone you know making it easier for yourself with that. right yeah connor yeah. i think you're missing the clicker no, dude, I had the fucking clicker. I had the fucking clicker. It's just like, it just is like so tedious. And it's yeah. so, uh, in a lot of ways, like impractical. And then it's like, people are looking at you. And then you really are humiliated again and again, as you drag the tripod out every day to your backyard, where you take your <laughs> own picture every single day, multiple times in different sessions. <laughs> Right. So it's just kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever I see somebody who's like, holy shit, like every one of these is great. Of course, I know that means there are a hundred shitty ones. Yeah. But like you're able to produce something. Uh, I don't know. Professional is like not even the right word. It's just right. they're just like good. Yeah. And, you know, as as I started to do the modeling thing a little bit more, and that was especially when I was wearing the 50s and 60s clothes a lot, and I kind of got typecast, pigeonholed in the in the vintage girl pinup-y realm. Right. right. And right. would do those shoots with photographers. That's kind of where some of, some of those photos came from. Um, but I've also, I like photography and I've been interested in photography too. Yeah. So having, having some experience and understanding of like behind and in front of the camera. Right. Yeah. A lot, a lot of it just ended up being self portraits. And then just over time with learning more about vintage, learning more about how to style and do period correct hair and makeup and all of those things because even you know now I would say all of my shoots I do I style I art direct a lot of them if I'm doing the shoots with a photographer it's it's very collaborative this is mm -hmm. my creative outlet so I've just pulled a lot of things that I love together into creating artful images and yeah. it's less and about, yeah, and it's less about, for me, with social media, social media is so exhausting and tedious, as you said. And now with the, the push for reels and videos, I just, I'm like, I don't need one more thing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to shoot a I fucking just, video. It's a totally different dimension of stress. Yeah. I'm like, uh. you mean I have to I have to record behind the scenes while I'm doing the thing? Right, right. Like, oh Jesus Christ. We, and if we you can, want like a yeah, it's to, it's a train. It's a train yeah. of other AI shit. I swear it is. I know. Yeah. And I just so for me, it's my it is my creative outlet. It's I I work with photographers who I enjoy working with, you know, some of my, some of my photography goes into more artistic art nude world. And I started doing that for a whole other reason of self-acceptance. 
and Mm -hmm. everything about everything that I do is kind of just a way to, I don't know, embrace myself and just be myself. Um, And sometimes that looks very different. I like becoming different people. Um, Yes. Yes. That's probably my favorite part of modeling and styling and doing all that is how can I become a different person today? Right. Um, And I mean, that kind of goes into like you eventually transitioning to film work too. Like you get to help someone else be a different person that day. Absolutely. And so I think it's just been over time, developing skills, understanding my angles, understanding how to put things together that I've kind of ended up where I am in terms of, you know, what my Instagram looks like. It's just been answer. It's just been time. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, a great answer <laughs> with like tons and tons and tons of information, which we love. It's like exactly <laughs> what we're looking for. Because this is a very thinly veiled attempt for me <laughs> to improve my fitness. The entire show is just, I wanted to take better fit picks. And now I've asked like almost 30 people how they do it. And I still yeah. haven't improved even slightly. <laughs> I was going to say a couple of minutes ago when you were like early in the process, uh, but I was going to say, Connor, you're getting taught by a master here. But then I also <laughs> realized that you've asked almost 30 fucking people basically a similar question about how to take good fit and you mostly not learned more than a fucking you know, thing. A couple of things. A fucking thing. Yeah, it's like <laughs> I got the I got the lighting is a little bit better for the yeah, most part. Yeah. But like I'm not even going to get into it. The camera is a piece of shit, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Which everyone says. Everyone likes to say that kind of thing. I mean, so it's the camera's fault. It's the camera's fault. Uh, again, <laughs> again, very. It adds on, pounds. On it adds uh, right, exactly. awkward yeah. expressions. Yeah. It adds it, weird hand positioning. I Which mean, we're recording video of this, so everyone is going to see that I'm normal. Yeah. <laughs> ha ha. Said a normal person. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because normal people often have to tell and reassure folks that they're normal. Uh, (laughs) Well, you heard it here first on my podcast show with over 30 guests. (laughs) Totally normal. (laughs) Totally normal. And I continue to increase the guest count, you know. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Of course, of course. We're we're essentially a Family Guy episode at this point. Um, <laughs> oh dear. Uh, so, do you have um, Sam like any favorite type of shoot? Um, you know, I, you do a lot of varying things from like working with friends to model jewelry to like your fairy shoots, uh, and then of course the mid-century thing. But do you have a favorite? It's really hard to pick. Yeah, it's not. It doesn't have to be a superlative, but you know. No, and it's, and I think as I mentioned, I like doing all of those things because I like becoming different people. Right, right. I guess I should have asked what kind of person are some of your favorites to turn into. You know, that's the that's a better way to phrase it. The nineteen forties vixen, always a favorite. (laughs) I feel (laughs) it takes a lot of work, but I and if. If I, you know, wanted to do my hair every day, maybe, maybe I would do that. But 
it's too hot in the summer to wear 1940s clothes first off yeah um but she's always a favorite of mine i love her um you know working with my friends aaron and rebecca when rebecca's a metalsmith jewelry designer with her collections that she does that are usually some sort of strong concept and my friend aaron is a photographer coming up with who that person is for that concept you know one of my favorite ones we did was a like elizabethan and it was super fun i put i have this pearl 1950s collar that i put on my head <laughs> to like get that elizabethan look right it's my, right. my favorite it's thing to do. yeah um, yeah that's funny or, Can I ask a question quickly, yeah. to, which is on topic? Uh, where do you think the line is? Is this cosplaying? Is there a line? Like, is there a point in defining this? Um, because I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I feel like cosplay is more about uh, both adopting the look of something and also like the style and attitude. Like, I, I would say act that, like them also. Yeah I, yeah, I would say that this is more of a like, um, you know, more of acting, but like still. Yeah, not like like cosplay <laughs> is like modeling, I guess, right? Cosplay is method acting. <laughs> cosplay yeah. is method acting. Modeling You're really is becoming acting. I see. I see. I see. Yeah, yeah. Like it, yeah. like Daniel Day Lewis would be a cosplayer, like. <laughs> you know yeah for sure yeah and i think cosplaying too usually like there is a specific character that you are trying exactly yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, so you can't cosplay 1940s vixen i mean you could you that might be a little weird but you could. Uh, i don't know I i'm ignorant on this subject like, there surely are people that do oh yeah and i would say like i've seen people cosplay as the 1940s vixen version of a character right or, sure sure or if it's you know a, a film noir actress character maybe that's the person that they are being right. i'm just being myself as all these different versions of myself yeah kind of thing i see yeah um and i none of those versions are not me they are just versions of me right um you know doing the more editorial kind of like either my hair slicked back or I make my eyebrows disappear or I just like become this kind of harsher version of myself. Those are super fun to do. You know, a lot of my other fine artwork is very Renaissance inspired. And it's, it's always very interesting to me that when the art I do is captured on film or as a photograph. It's viewed differently than it is, say, if I were painted. Right, There's this right. Like, weird divide between the two art forms that, like, one is acceptable and one is inappropriate. And I'm like, but what? Why? <laughs> but for <laughs> yeah. what? Yeah, it, um, it makes... Because we're we're... Uh, 
like the world has morphed so much into just like the stupidly puritanical society. And it's like, dude, we all have fucking bodies. Like we've, we've all got skin. Like we've all got <laughs> genitals. <laughs> like, Believe we, it or not. Like none of this, <laughs> none of this shit fucking matters. Like I, I don't, I like, I don't know. I, I like, I don't see a naked person in a photograph or a painting or whatever and see that as, as inherently something sexual because right. it's a fucking person. Right. Exactly. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. It, yeah. It's funny that you phrased it that way, like acceptable versus inappropriate. Yeah. And that's, that is what I found. I have, I have been painted before and that painting was in a gallery and you know, with other paintings that were, gosh, I think they were like seven feet tall. The The canvases were like seven feet tall of nude women floating in space. Right. And beautiful, <laughs> amazing. The yeah. Art, Carla, the artist, fantastic. Um, but yeah, it's we'll just this like up. weird dichotomy between fine art based and I can take this on my phone therefore right. it is no longer art well it's a little bit what i did with cosplay just a second ago kind of inadvertently right like i was like well where's the line between this and cosplay like as if mm -hmm. one was the lesser which isn't what i meant to imply no there's definitely not no. definitely were certainly um super into it and awesome at it and yeah I, like, and i, I have attention to detail I would, <laughs> so i would even draw a line maybe a little closer of like what i what i do and where i fall is more in the like purest form of wearing vintage clothing like i want to wear the true vintage right. i want to wear the undergarments of the era that go with the piece so that the piece fits my body the way it's supposed to i'm going to wear the 1940 shoes i'm going to do my hair as accurately as possible where the parallel to that i think in a lot of ways is the like the people who are more the reproduction pinup right who it's a little less historically tied and it's more about an aesthetic. Hmm. Neither are wrong. They're just different. And I find myself more in the former rather than the latter. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. And you know, like it, it's like buying a pair of buckle back jeans that are actually old or buying a pair of double RL. Like mm -hmm. both, both are going to be pants you can wear. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, Personally, I'm a cheap bastard, so I wouldn't spend the money to buy a, a real pair, but I could probably thrift a double RL pair. Like, right. you know, there's, there's, and, and it's like six in one hand, half dozen in the other. Like, neither of these things are inherently bad or, sorry, better or worse than the other. It's mm -hmm. just different. It's just how, you know, you, you make the, the choice. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, with, I, you know, I am privileged enough and lucky enough to have a body that can fit into a lot of true vintage. For sure. Which for sure. is where reproduction comes into play. Like, I, it's absolutely. Way more absolutely. Um, 
I mean, and you know, you're not going to find the pair of like size extra large pants from World War II, or the chances that you find the pair. Yeah, are, like are any shit yeah. yeah. Yeah, like, and, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm just a basic ass normal human shape. And, you know, I've always had problems finding that, but yeah. yeah and there's like, a lot of reasons for that. Beyond, totally, I don't totally. know, Matt, if we have, we've ever talked about it, like beyond just the idea that, oh, larger people didn't exist. Right. And it's like, well, no, survivor's bias plays a, a role in it. Totally. Is that totally. The really small sizes were not worn quite as often. Yeah. Cause nobody was that fucking size. Left. Yeah. Right. Or the larger sizes may have been handed down, may have been repurposed. Totally. May have been completely worn out. And that's the thing with a lot of menswear is like men wore their stuff to death. Yeah. Yeah. Women's fashion. You never came. hear this. You never no. hear this. You only no. ever hear like everyone just wasn't a fat piece of shit. Right. right. People right. eat McDonald's for breakfast. I mean, it, like, like everything, I have personally found that the the median sizes are the ones that you can't really find because mm -hmm. people are still the median sizes. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, funny how that happens. Like, I, I can find right. a pair of sixty inch, you know, waist like overalls from the forties in probably ten minutes at the, you know online somewhere like there's right. going to be five billion of those pairs just like there's going to be five billion 24 inch overalls because like yeah that there was no adult really that size but like yeah. basic median shit has always been the same and like you know depending on where you were like the south especially people wore shit mm -hmm. into the ground because they didn't have as much mm -hmm. money mm-hmm that's why and you find is, a bunch of tailoring because right. that's that was the special shit that they didn't wear all the time. Right. And like all of this, <laughs> all of all of these aspects of vintage clothing and like historic dress and understanding why fashions and clothes were the way they were and continue to be how they are. That's the stuff that I love. Totally. Like, the sociocultural aspects of historic dress and how, you know, that's part of the reason I think why I like 1940s fashion so much is just how affected by World War II it was. Right. Oh. Every, every little aspect of the clothing was so, so affected. And so, or even, you know, finding 1930s pieces that you can tell were altered for the 1940s. Right. You know, those type of things are fantastic. And the idea that, well, fat people or people of larger sizes or people of, you know, not tiny figures just didn't exist. Well, that's not that's just not true. Yeah, just not <laughs> not even remotely. But you seriously hear it all the fucking time. Yeah, like the, time. the only sure. thing. God, it, sure. it, it makes me I, want to drive an ice pick into my ear yeah. every time I hear that. And it's like, sure, our diets have changed. The amount of antibiotics in our food have changed. Like all of these things, sure, have changed and have contributed to maybe what the average size is. Sure. Right, right. But 
that's not to erase the fact that, those, that these people just didn't exist. Yeah. And it's like, well, no, no, no. It's way more well, it's like way more well-rounded than that. Yep. There's so much more to it than yeah. just like an erasure of a whole group of people. Yeah. I, I think my personal favorite uh, anecdote that I've heard, God, and I probably repeated before I realized like how fucking stupid this was. So if I ever said this to you and you're listening to this program, <laughs> I am a fucking moron <laughs> saying this. But the, uh, oh, uh, Marilyn Monroe was a size 10. You know, that, uh-huh. or, or whatever, you know, whatever the average mm-hmm. women's size is. I've heard multiple things. And it's like, you, 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 you do realize that, like, that, that number means, first of all, nothing. And second of all, that, like, sizing categories like that have changed dramatically over the years. So yeah, like I mean, a 50s 10 is not a 2023 10. No, no, I'm, I'm probably a modern, well, and just to get in a whole other thing of like <laughs> modern garment sizing and how it hasn't changed right. ever and how there is no actual standard anywhere. Mm. Um, not even. There, not nothing. Nowhere. Um, but it's like I probably fall somewhere between a four and a six in modern sizing. Right. For vintage sizing, that probably puts me somewhere around a 12, 14 mid-century size. Yep. So, like, and then get into things like shoes. The whole, you know... <laughs> A lot of women's shoes and men's shoes, too, have a number written in them. Yeah. And sometimes that number isn't even accurate because the woman buying it wouldn't want to know that her foot was a certain size. So <laughs> right. Budget. Yeah. And just write, write oh. a size that was, like, smaller or not totally correct or you know, with Victorian shoes being so tiny. It's like, well, yeah, that's what survived the last right years because those teeny tiny narrow shoes clearly did not get worn yep (laughs) that's why they're here yeah yeah you you think the the boots that they were wearing like on the daily survived this long no no. they were probably like they were probably handed down three times and then just thrown into a burn pit at some point in the you know 40s or 50s when that was not like even you know they nobody gives shit Exactly. When, as now, everyone was littering. Right. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. This, this is true. Like that Mad Men episode where he, I think I've even mentioned this on the show before, that Mad Men episode where Don is like uh, at the picnic and he just like throws the picnic blanket full of like all of the stuff. Right oh, yeah. Yeah. It's just it's like yeah. a, it's like a verdant, beautiful scene, you know, and they're like doing whatever, and then he just throws all the trash into the fucking woods and they leave. Just perfect. <laughs> yeah. A, yeah. A plus. A plus. No, and I man, I need to rewatch Mad Men because there are those little things on that show that are so accurate. Right. Yeah. One of my I think one of my favorite tiny little things from that show is every time a woman answers her phone, she takes off her clip earring to put the phone. <laughs> I forgot about that, but you're totally, it's, you're it's totally the right. Smallest thing, but it's like, yeah. Yeah. You take that, it off in order to like 
hold the phone. Right, right. Yeah, it, or else suffer the consequences of not, A, not being able to hear, and two, hurting your fucking earlobe. Exactly. And it's like, well, is that how a lot of earrings got lost? Right. Oh! See, I had to- my brain didn't even go there. But that See, makes sense. These are... These are the things I think of is like the cause and effect of like everyday life of this time. How did it affect this cl- these clothes? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Uh, uh, so, Sam, you know, when I, I walked into a random vintage store in 2017 after I started, you know, doing this dumb shit that I do full time. Um, and you were managing and like, we kind of hit it off immediately. You know, we've come a fucking both a long way in the past six years. Um, since then you started working on film productions and I know you've done, you know, you've got a lot under your belts. Um, so I guess this will be a two parter. How did that get started? And did you see yourself going into like film work at, when you were younger or is this kind of something that like, you know, just popped up randomly? Um, well, Kiwi is how it started. The right. vintage store where you and I met, I was working there and that phone screen places next door, like repair place. Oh yeah. Yeah. And Monica who ended up being the one to get me my first PA job in film wandered in because she was next door getting her phone repaired and we got to talking and I found out that she worked in film, worked in costumes and I told her I was interested in it. Um, I, when I graduated from UGA, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I didn't want to go into corporate world it's not my cup of tea. I didn't want to continue education in order and get a PhD in order to teach and go through that whole process. Right. Um, you know, going into conservation and museums is awesome, but the people who have those jobs keep them until they die and they're <laughs> highly competitive. Yeah. So it's a really hard field to get into. And I knew that the film industry was going strong in Atlanta, had no idea how I was going to get my foot in the door, but working at a vintage store, running into Monica, and it just kind of went from there. She got me my first PA job, and I was a PA for a year and a half uh, before I joined the union and became a full-on costumer. Um, as for, you know, did I always want to be in it? I think I kind of just answered it with, it kind of just happened. Yeah, Um, totally. It just like process of elimination. Well, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. This seems interesting. Um, if you ask my parents, they are 0% surprised. (laughs) Dude. Yeah. That, Um, I, I am also not surprised, like, <laughs> you know, just knowing yeah. knowing you a little bit better now, historically, like, yeah, yeah. this shit coming from a mile away. Yeah, and I, I don't know if I've ever told you this story, Matt, but when I was little, like, little, Beauty and the Beast was my Disney movie. Okay. That was, 
Mm-hmm. I was of that age and Beauty and the Beast was my thing. My parents would have to pause the movie as I watched it so I could do costume changes. <laughs> While I acted out the movie. Nice. Nice. So, not surprised. Yeah, no, not at all. Uh, <laughs> I now dress people. <laughs> my, my personal thing, and like there are pictures that no one will ever see at my parents' <laughs> house to support this theory was uh, sports uniforms because I was very into sports when I was like really young to like, you know, eight or nine mostly mm-hmm. but like if i was watching baseball i had to be dressed like a baseball player if i was yeah. watching football etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah so, yeah sad that sadly like soldier yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, well that says my shit i wanted to be a fucking soldier ah the great my, cosmic joke yeah i did my my fair share of that shit too when i was like watching the gi joe or something but uh, yeah, you know, we, it's so funny. Like we all have our things like that, that like when you, when you start, you know, working or like being super, super um, interested in something, people, people like that have known you forever. Are just like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. If you really luck out. Yeah. If you really luck yeah. out, if not, if not, they're going to wait till you're fucking 35 and be like, Oh yeah, that tracks. And you're like, motherfucker. <laughs> couldn't you say this 20 years ago? <laughs> right. So as I said, at the top of the show, we have wanted to have a costume designer, costume person, what have you um, on the show forever. So I was hoping that you would talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Working in film is a wild, wild thing. Uh, And right now it just doesn't exist, which is super fun for all of us. Um, Although we support the strikes on the show to, to go on record again. A hundred percent. And no one's talking about it, but but my, my union, uh, our contracts up next year. Oh shit. Yeah. You're right. I'm in IATSE. Yeah, I'm yeah. in Local 479. Um, so anyway, we have this to look forward to next year, too. Woohoo! <laughs> so, so, yeah, working in film is way less glamorous than everyone likes to think it is. Sure. It's long hours. It consumes your life. And yet I keep going back to it. <laughs> it's just, it's just so, so constant. And there's just so many problem solving things to do. And I, I prefer unsurprisingly to work on period things. It's a whole other can of worms compared to modern right. film television. But it's what I like to do because I love the history of clothes and I just, I like the fashions more. Modern stuff is just so boring. It's yeah. so boring. Um, heaven forbid I do a military thing and then it's just even more boring. <laughs> right. It's just. Right. Yeah. Oh, uniform. Okay. Right. Great. Yeah, Done. buddy. But that's. But you know that's somebody's shit also. So it's that, like yeah. that would be oh, my no, shit I, if I was a costume. Yeah, and I, you know, 
I've worked with a costumer who is ex-military who got into costuming with the specialty in military because it's a whole, it's a whole other thing of gritty details that you need to know. And did this, did this camo print exist in this year? When did they trans transition over to this? It's a whole other knowledge base that is just when it's your thing, it's your thing. And I have huge respect for it. Um, And I think, you know, parallel to it is doing historic dress stuff, doing period pieces. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's two sides of a coin because it's it's like the same details, but like you, it's just a a very um, specific knowledge that you have to have for both. Yeah. And I, when I was a PA, I was really lucky that the, the second show I worked on, the designer had me help her for a 1960s flashback scene. She bumped me up to a costumer to help her shop and help her fit background and then be on set that day because she knew that's what I was interested in and what I had a knowledge base in. And so I'm very, very grateful to have had somebody who gave me that opportunity because a lot of PAs don't have that opportunity. Hell yeah. And... I, what I do now, I've gone through a couple different iterations of jobs, but what I, what I do now and what I really love, have found that I really love doing is dressing background. Okay. They are kind of looked down upon a lot on sets and just kind of afterthoughts, but they're so, so important. Background oh, yeah. Are- so so important. Well, I would it's, imagine that if you're trying to create a period scene and the people in the background aren't wearing the right period shit, like maybe maybe ninety nine percent of people don't notice that. But like that's that's an important detail. You have to but have if that. Things are if things are off, it's gonna feel off. It's like yeah. painting. Yeah. It's like painting a picture, but just forgetting about the background. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It, it it completes the world. It completes everything. And so if if there's a disconnect between your principal actors and the background actors, it's super noticeable. Yeah. And the the show that I was on before we got shut down because of the strike, nineteen eighty nine, Southeast Michigan, Satanic Panic. Oh, nice. <laughs> and you get to dress more people too, right? I mean, and, theoretically, and yes. and so, you get to dress more people. And as like background key, I'm really, I was really grateful. So Deborah McGuire is the designer and fingers crossed it comes back. Deborah McGuire designed Freaks and Geeks, Friends. Oh, that's Blue cool. Girl. She is a legend in the industry. Yeah. And... I am very grateful to her that she trusted me and I basically designed a background with very little change from her that she saw what I could do. She trusted that I would do it and it was, it was fun. And it was a lot of, you know, a lot of high school kids, a lot of it takes place in a high school. So creating 
90 individuals. It's not just a mass group of 90 people. I have 90 individuals. Who is this student? What clique are they in? What jacket do they have at home? What, you know, are they a jock? Are they a burnout? Who are they in this environment? And so it's not just slap some clothes on a bunch of people. Right. You really have to think about who each person is as an individual. Yeah, there's a background. There's a history. Right, exactly. And obviously, these are all things that a designer thinks about when it comes to principal actors. But you really have to bring that. And I'm I'm really grateful to have learned all of these things from from other costumers who think about background in the same way that look at them in the face. Who are they? Right. Create them as a, as an individual person because it makes the collective so much better. It just makes it so much more well-rounded, especially with a period thing, I think. Yeah. I, I would agree with that entirely. Uh, although we, well, we it's a- like, you see sometimes, right? Like they point out the thing in the movie and then you're like, God damn it. Like I'm going to mm-hmm. see that canister air can for the rest of my fucking life. I'm never watching the movie gladiator ever again. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Yep. Huh. Cause there are those people who right. are like eagle eyed. And yeah. when something is wrong, it's wrong. And yes, sometimes you have to fudge it. Sometimes, you know, on I was key background on first ladies and did the Eleanor Roosevelt block and then the Betty Ford block. Mm. And that was a hell of a show. But all that being said, you know, you have to fudge things sometimes. You're not going to be able to put, you know, X number of people all in true 100% period accurate head to toe. For sure. Again, where a lot of the reproduction stuff comes in. Right. Or even understanding, like, if I go into a thrift store and I'm doing something 1960s, a flat front trouser yeah. is going to read pretty accurate yeah, they on pretty the background much, actor. They pretty much haven't changed. They haven't ever. really changed. That's, yeah. the, that's kind of the benefit of men's fashion is it, <laughs> it, it hasn't really change too drastically the same forever. <laughs> it's it's boring as hell but i love it god damn it unless you're doing like cool 1970s right right yeah the, uh, like, and it, you can be loud in the 80s like but this is like yeah. the subculture that we always talk about it's like the subculture yeah. subcultural penetration even like right. that's what it is it's like that right. kind of coming out in the mainstream yeah yeah exactly yeah. and you know, as long as what I usually try to do is as long as a top layer is accurate, usually not going to see what's going on under, underneath. Right. right. Um, as much as I want to be a stickler for everything to be correct all the time, it's just not feasible. No, definitely not. So knowing how to navigate and fudge and do all that um, and, you know, with shoes too you very rarely see feet. So sometimes you can get away with things not being totally a hundred percent. Right. Well, shit, man, it's been really, uh, really fun talking to you about a a million different aspects related (laughs) to clothing. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, we usually do like a mo- most worn and favorite item, but honestly, like I think that would take away from everything else you've already said about you know, <laughs> where your love of vintage comes from. Like I don't, I don't want to have have to make you think about those two things. So no, I mean. I, yeah. the jeans I'm wearing probably fall into that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, okay. Tell us what those are. Cause we didn't do an ensemble investigation, but man, these jeans are fucking sick. Yeah. I, no, I, so there are 1950s side zip that I bought damaged. They're like pretty sun damaged. And the moment they already had holes in them when I bought them and I bought them at a good price because of that. Right. Right. And, I put them on and they immediately just like split down both front of the leg. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, guess we're going to have to. So every time I wear these pants, I have to fix them. Yeah. They're yeah. patched and mended and they are the most, they're like a pair of sweatpants. Yeah. I, I feel comfortable wearing them on a day like today when it's a hundred degrees humidity in Georgia. Yeah, yeah. They're and I also still feel comfortable yeah. in them. They're fucking they're fucking fantastic. Um they're I great. I have I've seen a lot of the evolution of this over the or of these over the past few you years. Have. Too, so I've probably yeah. you've you've probably seen them whether you realize it or not, in every yeah. iteration oh, absolutely. <laughs> of, new, of new hole and new patch. Yeah. <laughs> uh well, uh they will surely be in one of the photos that we post for this episode. Um, yes. But I, I, because it is one of the funniest fucking things that I've ever heard in my life, <laughs> wanted to talk a little bit to, to, to cleanse the palate here about uh, the great rat debacle of 2022. Um, you and your partner, Russell, um, do foster work for rescued rats. And like, I've learned a lot about these things from you. You know, I lived in Brooklyn a few years and like subway rats are, are a whole other kind of shitty fish. But like, um, like pet, pet rats are fucking adorable and they're like hyper intelligent <laughs> and like, I don't know. I, I love hearing the stories, but, um, can you, uh, give a little rundown about this wild situation? Oh boy. That, yeah. That I remember. What a time that was. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we work with the Georgia rat rescue, really fantastic organization. And yeah, we foster rats. Um, I can go on and on about how fantastic of animals rats are. Yes. Um, <laughs> You're a rat ambassador. I am 100% a rat ambassador. I've got my little ratty friend on my arm always. Oh, yes. Nice. Yes. Um, but yes, this, this rat debacle. So how the organization works is somebody will contact the organization and say, I have these rats to surrender for whatever reason, moving allergic, got them for kids. Kids won't take care of them anymore. Whatever it is. Well, in this case, these people got three rats thought they were all the same sex. Turns out. Mm. Oh no. It was two boys and a girl. Look, you can you can sex rats basically from birth. Not that hard to do. And adult rats, really not hard to do. You right. know when a boy is a boy rat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's no denying oh, God. that that yeah. rat is a male. 
So female, female rat got pregnant. Obviously they kept them all together. How did it happen? So, but it's because, it's because they were rats. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, the rat. Wow. Wow. Yeah. What a mystery. What a mystery. Hmm. How does this work? Well, apparently these people. Rat conception. <laughs> yeah. That happened a bunch of times. Um, so Amy, who runs the organization, went to the house to go pick up the mom rat and her litter. Well, turns out that these people didn't pull the mom rat out or the litter out from the other two male rats. They just oh, kept keeping no. everybody together, one big happy family. <laughs> wow. So she got the two adult males and there were, I think, 11 babies in that litter. And I don't remember now the breakdown of boy to girl, but it was significantly more, there were more girls than boys. So we, my husband and I got the two adult males. I think we got some of the baby boys and then we got three, I think it was six girls total and four boys somewhere in that realm. Right. Is there a name? Is there a name for a boy rat? Is there a name for an adult male rat or a adult female rat? Like bull? Good question. Sow kind of I don't know. (laughs) Interesting. And then we must know then what the baby rat of both sexes is called. Yeah. We'll I'm find sure. this out. We'll get this information back to you rapidly. We'll maybe yes, even rapidly. Yes. We'll maybe even edit it in. <laughs> um yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. I know that a group of rats is called a mischief, which is adorable. Ma- a mischief? <laughs> oh my god, it's a pup. It's a pup okay. or a pinky or a kitten yeah. is a baby rat. No. Oh. Okay. A pup. Um so, long story short, mom, since all the babies had hit a certain age before they were separated mm. from the two adult males, <laughs> all of the baby girl rats got pregnant. Wow. And... Oh, I forgot to mention that when Amy went and picked up the rats, mom mom had just had a second litter. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which right. is why mom had to get left behind because mom was still weaning off a second litter. Right. Because because rats can get pregnant twice like twice at the same time or whatever, right? So then turns out she was pregnant with a third litter. <laughs> <laughs> Because rats have this crazy evolutionary thing where they, after giving birth, will go back into heat like two days later or something insane, can get pregnant and then can hold off on gestation of the pregnancy until the current litter is weaned. Wow. Wow. So anyway, 
three rats became a hundred rats in a very short amount of time. <laughs> yeah. Rat fuck indeed. A rat fuck. I, I really don't know why I wanted you to tell that story, but it like I've referenced like... Connor can tell you that like I've referenced that story no less than five or six times since we've <laughs> known each other in some way, shape, or form. Like it's just fucking hungry. Matt likes the rat fucking story it's for just... some reason. I mean, it's one I'm, of those things. I'm like, did y'all not realize how this happened? Right, right. Like, just that's the on. whole thing about that's the whole thing about rodents. I thought is that they well, really they breed a lot. There's a reason that there's a lot of them. Right, right. right. They right, breed yeah, a lot, right. and they're really fucking smart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, uh, like. It, and I mean, if you don't get them fixed, like, what do you expect to happen? Well, right, exactly. And, you know, because they're so small, getting getting them fixed is really difficult. Right. Um, right. It's just more dangerous. So all you yeah. do is you just separate the boys from the girls. Right, right. Because it, like... Problem solved. R- rats are very social creatures, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're like, highly social. Like, it, it's kind of like a duck. You can't have one or they'll just be, like, incredibly depressed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so like, yeah, make sure you get two males because you can see their fucking balls. Make sure you get two females and because female rats, only female rats have nipples. Male right. rats don't have nipples at all. So even yes. when they're yeah. this big, you just look at them and you go, "Oh, that's a girl." Yeah. Identification is not that difficult. <sighs> but so I anyway. this yeah. is more <laughs> rat fucking information than has ever been assembled. <laughs> and I it's mean, here on our show. We have here. Sam Rockwell. We have Today, the rat right fucking diatribe. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> My mom is going to be so happy that I'm finally <laughs> swearing again. <laughs> nice. Uh, well, uh, Sam, thank you again for coming on the show and putting up with Connor and I's dumb shit. Um, sorry, Connor's mom. I curse a lot, I know. Um, we all, we always give our guests a chance to shout out uh, and promote whatever they want to. So this is yours. Well, uh, you can find me on Instagram at, at Owlista, O-W-L-I-S-T-A. Um, I have a page for my vintage that's Owlista.vintage. You can get to both of those things uh, from my main, my main feed. Um, I have a website and I sell prints of myself portraits and I didn't fully mention, but I am getting ready to design for the first time a short film that I'm super excited about. Um, so yeah, that's just kind of it. Hell yeah. Fo- wow. Follow along and, and keep up yeah. with the journey. Uh, journey. Keep up the journey. Well, uh, keep up the journey, guys. <laughs> keep it up, everyone. Uh, thank you for listening. Um, please subscribe, rate, uh, whatever you do. Follow on Spotify, Apple, or your platform of choice. Um, if you have questions, comments, concerns, apocalypsestuds at gmail.com or at apocalypsestuds on Instagram. Uh, if you if you just want to send us a note and be like. Hey, wait, 
I appreciated this. Or like, hey, just a little is- fuck you, it's, even yeah, to a yeah, guy who dude. said that our audio quality is bad, <laughs> which is not uh, wrong. But hey, send well, us, drop us a line. We'll we pay a, good money for that. Drop us a line, even if you want to say, "Hey, go fuck mm-hmm. yourselves." That's fine. Uh, yeah, just post. please communicate might, with us. We are so lonely. We might post a screenshot if that happens, because I'm a petty bitch. But uh, anyway, I'm Matt Smith at Rebels Rogues. And I'm Connor Fowler at Connor Fowler. And we'll see you soon.